With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The NHL yesterday announced its finalists for the Hart Trophy. For league MVP, it's the last of the daily rollout of their awards finalists. And the Penguins were completely blanked on finalists, which almost never happens. I'm here to suggest, after the fact, one guy that maybe should have gotten some significant consideration for the most important one. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. You're listening to Daily Shot here on the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. You can get all of our programming automatically downloaded into your devices depending on where you go for your platforms. Try Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor. I don't know. There's, there's, a, there's a zillion of them. We're on all of them, whichever one you want. There's, if there's one that's better than the other, I don't know. It doesn't matter to us. It, it's all the same feed. It's all the same count. We're glad to have you. So the three finalists for the Hart Trophy, as released by the NHL yesterday, all very, very much deserving of the honor just of being finalists. Nathan McKinnon of the Avalanche, Leon Dreisaitl of the Oilers, who's going to win it, and Artemi Panarin of the Rangers, who really came out of nowhere to end up being a very deserving finalist. I have a vote for the Hart Trophy and for several other of the NHL awards, and I can tell you that uh, my ballot, the finalists that I had, the top three were Panarin, Dreisaitl, and I chose David Pasternak of the Bruins rather than McKinnon. No slight on McKinnon. I Obviously, this is just a great hockey player. I just didn't think he had enough games played. The same reason I left another guy off my top three, but I had him at number four, and that was Evgeny Malkin of the Penguins. I don't know if the regular season that Gino just had was sufficiently appreciated, never mind around the league. I fully didn't expect him to end up in the top three. I'd be surprised if he didn't get a a few other votes for four and five in addition to mine. But I am a little surprised, I guess maybe disappointed too, that this season that he had doesn't feel to me like it was appreciated nearly enough locally, meaning by the fans. I, I don't get that sense. Did you know that Evgeny Malkin's points per game average was number one in the National Hockey League? Number one, higher than Dreisaitl's. And Dreisaitl finished 13 points ahead of the second highest scorer in the league, that of course being his teammate, Connor McDavid. Nobody produced 
at a higher clip than Malkin. The only thing he did wrong all season, if you can call it that, was to miss 15 games. And to repeat, that is going to DQ you in most cases. And as I mentioned, it, it hurt significantly Nathan McKinnon's standing on my own vote. But still, what a year he had. And if you'll recall, going back to last season, no, the end of last season, there was all kinds of Gino is done, Gino is out, see what you can get for him in a trade, time to move on, trade Gino for a zillion prospects and rebuild while there's still time around Sid and everything else. And then Mike Sullivan and Jim Rutherford got involved and communicated with him and made sure that he was coming into camp as the new highly motivated 200-foot player that he needed to be to move, to ascend to the second level of his career, to kind of reconstruct his game in a way where he would become more responsible with the puck, more of a Mike Sullivan type of player in that regard. Do what you're going to do was basically what Sullivan told him, but just please, in these areas of the rink, in these situations, humor me and do it my way. That's all I'm asking. Everything else, go nuts. But in these areas, just be my guy, okay? And they talked, and Sullivan flew to Miami, where Gino has a summer home, met with him face-to-face, back when such a thing was possible. and urged him to do these things. Jim Rutherford had a similar communication. What they heard back from Gino, what they heard back was powerfully convincing, according to the both of them. Gino had no interest whatsoever in playing anywhere other than Pittsburgh. He has no interest in being anyone's teammate other than Sidney Crosby's. He loves what the two of them and Chris Letang, and of course before that, Marc-Andre Fleury, Chris Kunitz, a few others, have achieved here in Pittsburgh together. He loves his legacy as a Penguin. He had no interest whatsoever in being anywhere else. If you saw the powerful quotes from his wife, Anna Kostarova, in the Russian newspaper, Sports Express, she made that very clear on her own. He wanted to stay. He wanted to make the best of it. He had no interest in going somewhere else, being somebody else's individual star. That's never really been his way, either on or off the ice. He'll embrace being the guy, as we've seen, on the rink when Sid's injured. But off the ice, he'll lead, but he'll lead in his own way, but he'll always, always, always defer to Sid with everything. Go talk Sid. It's my best Gino whenever he gets approached by a reporter. He took that situation that was presented to him by the Penguins' coaching staff and management, and he turned it into a personal challenge. And this is what he did with it. And I don't know that we've paused, even amid this four-month pause with all this time, to look back on the regular season that he had and say, wow. Not only did he do it, but he kind of did it his way in conjunction with Sullivan's way. If you think about it, 
What did you see about Geno's offensive game that looked different to you? What did you see? Did you see him trying different things? Remember when Mario came back and he had to adjust his game from being, you know, the world's greatest one-on-one player, world's greatest stick handler, world's greatest playmaker, to instead becoming the world's greatest goal scorer. What a sacrifice he made, huh? <laughs> Still blows my mind, the whole thing. Gino didn't do any of that. He didn't adjust his offensive game. I was one of the people that thought he should. I was wrong. I, I wrote that it's about time that he stops trying to beat everybody, including in the offensive zone. He doesn't need to stick handle through everybody, Alexei Kovalev style. He needs to distribute a little bit more. He needs to move more to the open spaces. I was wrong on all of that. I was wrong on all of it. You know you know what he needed to do? Plain and simple. And I brought this up with him. You might recall this. In the middle of the regular season, he gave me some really blunt answers about it. Just needed to skate better. He felt like he hadn't had his full leg strength, his full stride for quite some time. Why? I don't know. He never made that clear. And when I asked him about it, he would just kind of start joking about something else. But he didn't have it. So he worked and he worked and he worked, particularly on skating. Imagine this. For everything that he's achieved in his career, built on, as it is with all great hockey players, a foundation of skating, that he went back to that. And if you think about what's different about his game this season from last season, that's really it. All he did was get his gear back. He skated through people, around people, started spinning around the offensive zone. And you know what I'm talking about because you can picture it in your head where he does that thing on his backhand and works his way the whole perimeter before he makes a play. That's the best version of Evgeny Malkin. Now, he could have done just that. He could have done just that. He didn't, though. He also bought in with what Sullivan and Rutherford had asked of him, had demanded of him, I should say. He did take care of his own end. Yeah, he still made, you know, great players are going to make giveaways. Uh, you look at the end of the year, the NHL has an official stat for giveaways, and you look at the top 10, top 20 players in giveaways in the league, and it's all the best players. You know why? Because they're trying ambitious things. They're trying to make passes that other guys can't. And Malkin will do that, and some of them will have you shaking your head, shaking your fist. But he was way better defensively, way more diligent way more focused, way more details-oriented, way more team-oriented, way more aware of the score, uh, way less undisciplined. If you'll recall a lot of those bad Geno sightings that we've seen in recent years where he would just cost the Penguins a game by doing something incredibly dumb. He turned himself into the Mike Sullivan type of player, but he also brought back the best version of Evgeny Malkin. There's something to be said for that. On my ballot, he was number four. 
out of the five that I'm allowed to list, and you have to rank them when you do. And I think that's that's just about right for the level of performance as it relates to the number of games he was limited to playing. But I'll tell you what, around here, in the scope of the, the Pittsburgh context, he was number one. There was nobody better than the Penguins than Evgeny Malkin, and that's not something that too many of us could have foreseen going back to last summer. different criteria for the same award. They have different standards, different definitions for things that sound like they're the same awards. Welcome back. The second half of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in western Pennsylvania are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought. And now, during the pandemic, the need for food is that much greater. If you're in need of food assistance or if you'd like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank's mission of feeding people in need, eliminating hunger in our region, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell that out, pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. The MVP award, when you pick it in football, is just plain old best player. Who was the best player? Really, it always comes down to who's the best quarterback because the position is just so important. The MVP, when you pick it in baseball, is the best player, but it always comes with the catch that it can't be the best player on a crappy team. This is the unwritten A-Rod rule when A-Rod was playing for the Texas Rangers, and he was clearly the best player in baseball, but nobody would ever vote him MVP, even though there was no such criteria given out to the voters. Just one of those funny things. In the NHL, they have the, the most unusual of all the wordings for MVP – Theirs, for the Hart Trophy, is the player adjudged to be most valuable to his team. And that, a lot of voters have taken over the years to use as a clause or a rationale for never taking a player who missed the playoffs. This is what hurt Mario a lot early in his career when he played for some really bad Penguins teams and it, it just didn't matter how great he was. This should be known as the Taylor Hall rule because when Taylor Hall, a couple of years ago, you'll remember, with, was the Devils' best player by such a broad margin that he basically carried them on his back into the playoffs. People were so blown away by how much better he was than everybody else on his team that he ended up winning the award, even though he was nowhere near the league's leading scorer, arguably wasn't the league's best player. It just became a thing about subscribing to that definition, that very strict definition, as it's worded. 
So this year, you see Artemi Panarin of the Rangers is the is the new Taylor Hall, if you will. He had 20 more points than anybody else on New York's roster. Uh, even though Mika Zibanejad had an excellent year in New York, he was 20 points behind Panarin. The Rangers were supposed to be rebuilding. This was they were never supposed to be competing for a playoff spot. They obviously ended up with one with a you know big old asterisk here because of the expanded field post-coronavirus. Panarin would be that guy out of this group. The reason I bring this up is that there's always this debate about should you change the award? Should you change the wording of it? Should you tell voters that it's not supposed to be this, it's supposed to be that? I'll give you a couple examples here. One is the the Masterton Trophy. The Professional Hockey Writers Association has this big debate every year about the Masterton Trophy. It's the one that's given out for perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication. Um, there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. I mean, listen to what I just said. But it ends up going every year to someone who overcame some significant malady, injury, or other obstacle. That's just the way it is. That's the way it's always been. And yet we get this finger-wagging amongst ourselves every summer. The Masterton is actually something that is intended for just perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication. And it doesn't have to be about whoever had an injury or battled back. And yet, again, everyone still submits the same. Why not just give up on it? Why not just say, look, this is what the award has always been, and this is what it'll always be. There are all kinds of worthy candidates for such a thing, and if we associate it with someone who comes back from a significant obstacle, that's actually a pretty cool award. Why fight it? You know, who's ever looked at someone who's won the Masterton and said, wow, I really hate the fact that that guy came away with that trophy? It's never happened. Almost always a really, really good story to it. This year, uh, the nominees include Stephen Johns of the Dallas Stars, local kid from Wampum, Beaver County, who's overcome significant bout with mental issues. Great battle. Great, great story, Stephen Johns. There are... Jay Bomeister of the Blues was, a, was another guy who was a candidate. He's not a finalist, but, you know, who had the... The collapse on the St. Louis bench, he wasn't able to come back. But again, you know, this is a guy who's been in the league for nearly 20 years. Oscar Lindblom, the young kid in Philadelphia who's fighting back from a scary form of cancer. Uh, these are out there. These are great stories. Why fight them? Why, why say, well, this isn't what we want this award to be? Make it this instead. The one that really stands out in this regard, though, is the Jack Adams Award. That's the coach of the year. That's the only one of the awards, by the way, that's voted on by the broadcasters. The rest are done by the writers. The, the broadca- oh, I, I'm sorry, Vezina Trophy goes to the general managers. The rest of them are done by writers. But this one, the Jack Adams goes to the men and women who work the booths in the NHL. And they generally do a pretty good job with this thing. But the criteria, which isn't written down is almost always, and this is true of all sports, whoever engineers the biggest turnaround. It's always about the turnaround. 
And they'll tell you again and again and again, it doesn't have to be about turnaround. It doesn't have to be about turnaround. It's always a turnaround. You know why? Because the turnarounds, especially when they're done with essentially the same roster, is the easiest, arguably laziest way to determine whether or not a coach had a big part in that team's performance. A turnaround or a big rise up. So of the nominees this year, the finalists, and I'll remind that I didn't have a vote, I'm not a broadcaster, were John Tortorella of the Blue Jackets, Bruce Cassidy of the Bruins, and Elaine Vigneault of the Flyers. Now the guy in the middle, Cassidy, is the one who, if you were just throwing out all other criteria, he had the best team in the league. No one was better than Boston. No one in either conference. He had the best team. Could you argue that he did the best coaching job? Sure you could. Tortorella had his roster basically devastated, including losing Panarin and Matt Duchesne and a whole bunch of other guys, and everyone thought Columbus was going to stink. And they didn't stink. They weren't all that great, but they didn't stink. They also had a ton of injuries. Believe it or not, the Blue Jackets had more injuries than the Penguins did. The only reason it didn't get as much attention is because the Penguins' injuries were to more prominent players. So Tortorella is there. Vino, though, is the guy who's the classic choice for this sort of thing because the Flyers were really a nothing team. They didn't change much in the way of adding players. They went and got Kevin Hayes as a free agent. And that's about it. And they ended up becoming a really good, solid, defensive, classic Elaine Vigneault team. So they, everyone looks over there and says, Aha, Elaine Vigneault did a really good job coaching. I don't like any of this. I mean, there's, I'm, I'm glad I never have to vote for this award. You know why? Of all the awards that are given in all sports... The one that should absolutely, positively not be confined to the regular season, as the Jack Adams is, is the coach of the year or manager of the year. Because the ultimate test of a coach or a manager in any sport, and every last one of them will attest to this, is how they fare in a protracted series against one opponent. Because that's when you're matching wits. That's when you're seeing if Barry Trotz has figured out that you're pinching too aggressively down the boards. Remember that whole scenario between Sullivan and Trotz? That's when you're going head-to-head with Peter DeBoer, uh, as, as we saw in 2016 with the Sharks. And DeBoer looked like he had the Sharks doing absolutely everything right. He'd come out of uh, defensive systems his whole career. And the Penguins were going to be really challenged with that. Why would that get ignored? Why would that get ignored when, when that counts for everything? There's nothing harder for a coach or a manager to do in professional sports than to win a championship. Nothing. Every last one of them will tell you that. Yes, they're proud of what they do in the regular season, especially in baseball when there's 162 games and it's really hard to get into the playoffs. But nothing compares to a championship. 
Why that gets cut off in the regular season, I have no idea. Who are you trying to be fair to? The teams that didn't make the playoffs? Which coach could ever win a Coach of the Year award if his team didn't make the playoffs? Mike Sullivan, this year, should have been the Jack Adams award winner. As it was, he's not even a finalist. He hasn't been a finalist yet. He, he hasn't come close to this award. In fact, all he's done in his brief career is win a couple of rings and do a whole lot of other good things in Pittsburgh. He doesn't care. So I'm not saying this as if I'm like, you know, this is some big outrage point from the Penguins. He should have been a finalist. He should have won the award. No one was tasked with what he was this year. Now, I'm sorry. The Blue Jackets losing Brandon Dubinsky doesn't compare to the Penguins losing a Malkin, a Crosby, Brian Dumoulin for three quarters of the year. You you remember it all. At, at one point, it became farcical what was going on. He rebuilt his system, the one that he was using in 2016 and 2017 to win championships. He seized the opportunity to rebuild, to reinstall his system and the faith in it. You might remember the road trip, early road trip, early October. I, I covered this one up in St. Paul and Winnipeg, of course. And he talked about it openly. He was going to use this as a chance to get that system back, and he did it. He did it with a bunch of Sam Lafferty's, and he pulled it off. And by the time the stars came back, they had to buy into what he was doing. It was masterful coaching. But you'd have to be paying attention to something other than turnarounds in order to acknowledge that. Awards are fun, though. They, I mean, they at least fill a half-hour podcast, right? <laughs> Coming up today at 11 a.m. will be the latest edition of Pirates Pod with Alex Stumpf and Noah Hiles. And yes, we are working on putting together daily Penguins and Steelers pods as we move along. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.